Hello and welcome to Earth Riot Radio. I'm Reverend Billy at the Church of Stop Shopping in New York. Some of you will be joining us in person tomorrow night, November 26th at 6 p.m. at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. Well, we live in very distressing times. Watching these adolescent narcissistic leaders of tribes slaughter each other's children in plain sight. In the Church of Stop Shopping, we believe that this is inevitable if you divide yourself from the physical environment you live in. If you, if you say that the earth is not a part of your human life. And that divide between the natural world and the human culture is what we'd like to concentrate on today with help from Gail Bradbrook, one of the founders of Extinction Rebellion in England, and Alnur Lada. Alnur is the founder of The Rules, which is concerned with reinventing governance, and he's been on the International Board of Greenpeace, and, well, they're both, they both have illustrious resumes. Gail and Alnur, we're so glad you're with us. My plan is, because the three of us had this wide-ranging conversation a week ago, the way we talk and our format doesn't fit into necessarily this 29-minute Earth Riot radio format. So the idea would be just to ask you to be our companions and trust me and our editor, Jason Candler, to drop in to whatever we're discussing or singing on our show, a three or four or five-minute comment from you. You'll be our, our wise consultants. Is that all right? Amen. And listeners, will you accept this, uh, this invitation to have some people always present with us over the next several Earth Riot radios? All right, here we go. Are you ready? We're inviting the Earth to be with us now over the next while. Let's try to solve this violence and emerge in a peaceful world. Earth Alleluia. Peace Alleluia.
news, all that shopping gets me depressed. But what really gets me down is that damn convenience. What you're speaking about, Elnora, my, myself and my sister Skeena, a couple of years ago, and we haven't really manifested this yet, but we were talking about making an oath to life. I suppose it was just how to, and, and, our, and our mutual dear sister Lynn talking about what liberation theology would be for these times, you know, like how do you, uh, how could we do something that would have real meaning? Is it public? Is it communal? Um, that speaks to, for me to that longing to, to marry life almost, you know, to use that language, to say, this is my choice. And I, you know, like any kind of marriage, when one of you's not well, it's going <laughs> to, I'm not going to keep right all the time, but um, that, that, that I feel an impetus for us designing and creating something that's genuinely cultural, that helps us to make that statement publicly. The, I mean, I think the other aspect of it, as well as naming the collapse that we're now in, um, Jen Bendel's new book, uh, which is called Breaking Together, it's launched this summer, he goes through the data on uh, what it looks like when civilizations collapse, what where our data is at, um, various indicators, and that suggested that we entered collapse in 2015, so before COVID. Uh, and there's something like in that tradition of thinking, as Vanessa Mercado de Oliveira talks about in Hospice in Modernity, that like we're not trying to, um, that doesn't mean everything's going to come to an end, it means something's ending. And of course it can collapse into something worse, but how do we talk about that as well? Because that's part of naming something. I quite like that phrase breaking together, you know, rather than Yes. What a wonderful book. And, and and prepping and storing up tins of beans. I'm not against that, but you know, like I don't know. I don't know if wonderful is the right word, but Yeah. Well, it's something to face together, isn't it? And turn towards and uh, talking about it with my brother Kofi tonight. And like it's important that that narrative from the global north like probably one of the best things we could do with our family in the global south at the minute is name that we're in a state of collapse because they're still getting shown modernity as this shiny thing that they should be aspiring to even though it's on their backs and <clears throat> extracted from the earth and maybe a handpicked few might get chosen to to sort of be puppets for the regimes etc anyway so there's big political choices here but there's something about something being named very uh, beautifully, meaningfully, concretely. It's not like it has to take one form, of course, but I, I feel that there's a need in me, I think. Vastness, vastness, vastness 
The world's biggest iceberg, larger than the state of Rhode Island, is on the move for the first time in over three decades. Measuring 4,000 square kilometers and some 400 meters thick, the city-sized iceberg A23A was created in August 1986 when it was calved from the Antarctic coastline. The floating ice chunk quickly became ground in the muddy seafloor and stayed put in the Weddell Sea. Now satellite images have shown it has moved significantly over the past few years. Like most icebergs of the Weddell Sea, it's expected that A23A will drift along with the Antarctic circumpolar current and eventually end up in the South Atlantic Ocean. Eventually, like all icebergs, it will melt away to nothing. The reason for the iceberg's sudden voyage is yet to be understood. Portugal just ran on entirely renewable energy for a record-breaking six consecutive days. The country produced more renewable energy than was consumed for 149 consecutive hours. Beating a previous high of 56 consecutive hours, Portugal also managed to go natural gas-free for 131 hours in a row, and for 95 of those hours produced enough clean energy that some could be exported to neighboring Spain. In utero, exposure to common air pollutants may lower semen quality and increase the risk of reproductive system disease in men, new research finds. The peer-reviewed Rutgers University study looked at whether exposure to particulate matter called PM2.5 and nitrogen oxide may shorten the distance between the anus and genitals, or the anogenital distance in developing fetuses and newborns. Anogenital distance is a marker of reproductive health related to hormone levels, lower semen quality, fertility, and reproductive disorders, and the research identified a likely link between it and exposure to the pollutants. 
Thousands of young children go to schools within just 200 feet of farms where pesticides are likely to be sprayed, a new analysis of farms across the United States has found. Although most states have laws restricting how and when pesticides can be applied near schools, pesticide companies and their allies in Congress are trying to preempt such laws. Farmers apply about 1 billion pounds of pesticides every year in the U.S., including a dozen particularly dangerous compounds banned in the European Union. Growers may be applying any number of toxic pesticides within just 200 feet of more than 4,000 elementary schools. The biggest threat to bat populations in the southwest is wind turbines. Roughly half a million bats die each year from wind turbine collisions. Just flying close to the wind turbines can be fatal. A blade slicing nearby creates enough air pressure to kill a bat that it doesn't even strike. The 2023 State of the Bats report predicts that four bat species in the U.S. could lose more than half of their population due to wind energy facilities in the next 15 years if no mitigation measures are taken. While bird deaths have long been cited as a drawback of wind power, the turbines' impacts on bats could have much larger environmental impacts. More than one in five of Earth's mammals are bats, which have 1,400 species that can be found on every continent except Antarctica. Between pollination, seed dispersal, and pest control, bats are an integral part of balancing ecosystems all over the globe. Twelve of the world's wealthiest billionaires produce more greenhouse gas emissions from their yachts, private jets, mansions, and financial investments than the annual energy emissions of two million homes. The tycoons include the Amazon boss Jeff Bezos, the Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich, the tech billionaires Bill Gates, Larry Page, and Michael Dell, the inventor and social media company owner Elon Musk, and the Mexican business magnate Carlos Slim. Analysis of their luxury purchases, which include super yachts, private jets, cars, helicopters, and palatial mansions, combined with the impact of their financial investments and shareholdings, reveals that they account for almost 17 million tons of CO2 and equivalent greenhouse gas emissions annually. Through the corporations they own, billionaires emit a million times more carbon than the average person, equal to the emissions of 4.6 coal-fired power plants over a year. Activists from the Australian pressure group Rising Tide successfully halted all movement at the port of Newcastle on Australia's east coast this weekend. A total of about 1,500 people were involved in the protest at present due to the number of people currently in the shipping channel. All shipping movements have ceased due to safety concerns, irrespective of the cargo they are carrying or intend to load, a port of Newcastle spokesperson said. Rising Tide said it hoped the flotilla of kayaks and small boats would block the export of around 500,000 tons of coal over the weekend. Australia is one of the largest coal exporters in the world. New research combines both physiological and archaeological evidence to argue that not only did prehistoric women engage in the practice of hunting, but their female anatomy and biology would have made them intrinsically better suited for it. From a metabolic standpoint, the female body is better suited for endurance activity, which would have been critical in early hunting because they would have had to run the animals down into exhaustion before actually going in for the kill. Anatomically, the female's wider hips allowed for more rotation and longer steps, which would have aided them in the pursuit of large game. 
Forensic study of bones and remains show the marks of traumatic animal injury incurred by hunting, and women were often buried with hunting weapons. There is no reason to believe that prehistoric women abandoned their hunting while pregnant, breastfeeding, or carrying children, nor is there any indication in the deep past that a strict sexual division of labor existed. Basically, survival was an all-hands-on-deck activity. There weren't enough people living in groups to be specialized in different tasks. Everyone had to be a generalist to survive. Common portrayals of women as physically inferior or the so-called weaker sex are not supported by science. A deep space experiment traveling on NASA's Psyche spacecraft has just beamed a message via laser to Earth from far beyond the moon for the first time, an achievement that could transform how spacecraft communicate. In the farthest ever demonstration of this type, the deep space optical communications beamed a near-infrared laser encoded with test data from its position around 16 million kilometers away, which is around 40 times farther than the moon is from the Earth. Laser communication can transmit vast amounts of data at unprecedented speeds by packing data into the oscillations of these light waves, encoding an optical signal that can carry messages to a receiver via infrared light. Allowing the transmission of more data will allow future missions to carry much higher resolution science instruments, as well as allow for faster communications on potential deep space missions, making possible live streams from the surface of Mars. And now the sound of extinction. Decades after they were wiped out by Soviet hunters on their way to the Antarctic, Blue whales are making a return to the crystal clear waters of the Seychelles in the Indian Ocean. Researchers spent a year recording beneath the waves to detect the whales after filmmakers caught sight of them in 2021 and found they could be breeding in the area. Blue whales are the largest animal to have ever lived on Earth, growing up to 30 meters in length and weighing up to 150 tons. Once prolific in the Indian Ocean and beyond, Sustained hunting in the 20th century resulted in more than 340,000 blue whales being killed. The song of the blue whale, despite being the loudest in nature, is inaudible to humans. Although reaching up to 188 decibels, equivalent to a jet engine, the frequency is so low it is beyond the range of human hearing. The Seychelles is just one area in which blue whales are making a return. In recent years, they have returned to the waters around South Georgia, and in 2021, they were spotted off Spain's Atlantic coast for the first time in more than 40 years. And here, the song of the blue whale. mentioned um, this idea of, of uh, bifurcation, right, in, in the sense that we have like, 
extreme psychosis, uh, you know, empire onslaught, perpetual war, uh, increasing, and and uh, we also have people who are reclaiming their sovereignty in communal ways and are, are awakening to what's happening. And then we also have this uh, kind of polarity between nature and, and culture, as you described it. Uh, and you know, one, one definition I, I like of the Anthropocene to describe this current period in time is that it's uh, a time where nature uh, moves faster than culture. Right, that right. right. Human culture used to uh, outpace geological time because it was moving so fast, and now we're in this uh, age of consequence. You know, uh -huh. By five thousand years of the city-state and patriarchy and heteronormativity and white supremacy and extraction and commodification and you know rape, pillage, violence, and you know all of the the, the factors of this so-called culture, this dominant culture. The master narrative uh, are all coming to head now, and uh, as you say, a third of the U.S. is uh, uh, in, in in emergency, in 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 climate emergency, and and it's it's going to be more and more of of the lived human geography, and um, we we the the response to that is. Uh, those who are benefiting from the existing system. And this is not to say that there is just a few benefiting. Of course, we are all complicit in the system. But there are those who disproportionately benefit from the system. And those who are primary movers and drivers of the existing system, um, they are going to double down with uh, fascism and denial in, in, in the face of what's happening. And we're, we're feeling that exasperation. And all the the... The, the feedback loops we get are being mediated by organs of the neoliberal operating system. So we talk about the post-truth world and it's because the media is set up in order to perpetuate the story from the culture it comes. And, and so we're, we're in some ways in a civilizational checkmate moment and we're becoming aware of that. And I think what Gail's pointing to is like part of our obligation at this moment is to become conscientious objectors of the master narrative. And on one level, it is at the body, at the at the soma, and at another very critical level, that soma has to find other somas to be in community with, in order to say uh, this culture does not represent us, and nor do we want to be complicit in it any longer. Bill Clinton and you're dead you're, you're Bill Clinton's ghost what happened to New York oh you're gonna go there on purpose now it's on fire oh you think you can make money huh all right save ourselves when guns and torches guns and torches 
are dropped. They're all dropped. So we can touch. When? Cops jail bankers. Why? To save the kids of cops and bankers. When Christmas is abandoned. When black and brown lesbians run the Department of Justice. When we have this great idea. Resist extinction. Resist extinction. Resist. Resist extinction. Resist extinction. Resist. When we take personal responsibility for this superstorm, when we go outside until outside is no longer outside, when we stop calling the storm some kind of criminal scandal, when we climb mountains and cross rivers and cross deserts to be with you, when we're willing to do what it takes to save ourselves, when we see that our spare room is a young mother's dream, when we feel years of laughter, when we feel that we're stopping our shopping and we're starting our living, when we're grateful, when we're grateful, grateful, grateful at Thanksgiving that we are radically changing. When is the time to act? 